Are you hungry? This is probably a terrible question to ask you this morning. The last sermon I preached was in Missouri a couple of weeks ago. It was titled, Feasting, Fasting, But Everywhere a Famine. So I guess I'd like to talk about being hungry. But this morning I'd like to talk to you about feeding your soul. So, before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your presence this morning. We ask for the Holy Spirit as we go through your word. May you inspire us, Lord, to have a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in college, and um, I don't remember. I think it was my second year. And I walked into a room, a small room. It was a lounge room for students. And there was this girl, and she was there studying her Bible. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it's a public university. And it's not something that you see all the time at a public university. And there were a couple of thoughts that, that hit me. One, even though I was pretty bound and determined, or at least I was sure, there was nobody out there I was never going to get married. The, the pool was very small at the church that I was at, not a lot of fish in that sea. But the thought suddenly occurred to me, not of my, I don't know where it came from, but I, it was, I wonder if she's the one. As it turns out, she was. She challenged me in a conversation that we had. She said, you know, most people don't know what they believe or why they believe it. And I thought, hmm, I think I'm one of those people. My family had been out of church for seven years. If people would ask me, what denomination do you identify with? I would have said, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. But all I knew probably was that you keep the Sabbath and God's Ten Commandments are important. And some of them eat differently than other people. And beyond that, I don't know that I knew a whole lot. And so I became bound and determined that I needed to know. And I was a bit of a, at least internally, I a bit of a debater. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I can uh, argue a few points if I know with her. You know, you don't have to tell a hungry person to eat. At least you shouldn't have to. They find a way to get some food, right? There are some people, though, I'm convinced might starve. My youngest brother is probably one of them, or at least he used to be, um, he could probably be a candidate for natural selection in that regard, if you believe in that sort of thing. Before he got married, he would just be so busy that he would just forget to eat. I was never that way. I like food. And when it comes to feeding our souls, it seems like some of us are perpetually fasting or simply have no appetite. But for the Christian, the Bible makes the assumption that you will eat you should eat. We should not be starving ourselves or feeding it with the junk food that the world provides. And after you've tasted of the Bible buffet, I think Peter says it best. 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look briefly at the first few verses. It's Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. The children of Israel had been traveling, wandering in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. But before they got there, they came to a couple of places and they were less than happy, we shall say. Starts out and says, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation and the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month, and they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They had plenty to eat in Egypt being slaves. You fast forward to the time of Jesus. John chapter 6, and you find that Jesus had been feeding the 5,000. It attracted a lot of attention. So much by the next day, you see that people are following Jesus and they're asking him for a sign that they might see and believe. And he refers back to this event in Exodus chapter 16. And those people, they point to the manna that came down from heaven that fed them And they say because of that, they could believe. And the irony is the sign of the manna falling from heaven to them was because they were unbelieving. And Jesus uses this event to teach them a greater truth. In John 6.63, he tells us, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Yes, you could have the manna and feed your body, but have you fed your soul? I'd like to invite you to turn with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because this was not a new idea to God's people. In fact, they had been given this idea by Moses. It's recorded for us in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'd like to read the first three verses of this with you this morning. It says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these ways 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I'm a little slow on my clicker here, so I'm sorry. How is it that Scripture feeds us? It was the Scriptures that Paul pointed to in Timothy's experience, and that the study of those Scriptures made him wise to salvation through faith in Christ. The scriptures have the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
both pointing to the coming of Christ, both pointing to the cross, one forward, the other back. Scripture teaches us about the lion and the lamb, right? The sovereign and the Savior. In this book, you will find Jesus, and Jesus has the words of life. And so with that thought, if you're hungry, and this morning you should all be hungry, what can you do to supply your spiritual nutrition? Well, you can study, but when? You know the Bible has counsel? It's important for us to eat a good breakfast every morning, right? Did, I mean, maybe this morning you didn't start with a good breakfast because it's the day of prayer and fasting, but every other day of the week, you want to start with a good breakfast, right? It's important to nourish your mind early in the morning so that you're prepared for the day ahead. The Bible tells us in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And while we're admonished to study in the morning and start our day out right, the Bible tells us that we should also think about the things that we read day and night. It says in Psalm 1-2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate day and night. And to take it a step further, if you have children, you should be teaching your children throughout the day the things that are contained in God's word. Right? Deuteronomy 6-7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And I'd also encourage you to apply that same principle to those under your care who are babes in God's word that you are helping along. The Bible gives us several reasons that we should study. If you're not in the habit of doing so already, Maybe these will encourage you. God wants you to study so that you can be saved. The Bible says in John 20, 31, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We're also told in 2 Timothy three sixteen that all scripture is, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, God wants to restore man into his image. And in the Bible, we find God's plan for making that happen. In it, we find doctrine to correct our sinful thoughts and our actions, all to the aim of being righteous. God wants you to study so that you don't have to learn the hard way and so that you will have hope. How many of you are those that learn only the hard way? I think my little brother is one of those people. He likes to learn everything the hard way. I can't understand why that is. The Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, it says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We have examples of people who have gone before us, people who have made mistakes, people who have done things correctly. We can look at all that and say, Lord, how are you leading me? How can I follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before and done things right after your way? Or Lord, how can I avoid the pitfalls of those who have gone before and not followed your way? God wants you to know what's going to happen 
so that you can be ready and help others to be ready too. You see, the Bible contains many prophecies, right? Prophecies that point to what is coming upon this world. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it opens with this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which much shortly take place, right? There are things soon to take place upon this earth that people need to know about. They need to be prepared for Jesus to come, and Scripture tells us these things. God wants you to discern what is truth and what is error. This is another reason to study the Bible. We're told in Acts 17, verses 10 and 11, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night to Berea, who coming thither went to the synagogue of the Jews. And it tells us about these Bereans. It says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. We should study the Bible like the Bereans, right? Comparing Scripture with Scripture and testing every wind of doctrine that blows our way. When I think of the lack of ability of people to filter information in our age, I think of this meme. Abraham Lincoln, it says, if it's on the internet, then it must be true and you cannot question it. Written as a quote. We should not be victims of our post-truth society, but discerning of the times. We should study the Bible because God wants us to have the power to overcome. We can do that one way by putting God's word in our heart. It says in Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In the Bible we find strength. We find power from Jesus to resist the enemy of souls. And we can proclaim, like Jesus did, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But let's be a little bit practical about this. So I'm going to share with you this morning um, some practicality and some resources that I have used and found helpful in my own life as I study the Word of God. All right? First of all, we just talked about putting God's word in our mind, in our heart. One way to do that is to memorize, right? How many of you like to memorize portions of the Bible, verses here and there? Everybody should have their hand up, right? A tool that I have used and recommend is called the Bible Memory App. It's formerly known as Scripture Typer. You can find it on the App Store. It looks like this. You can choose your voice verses, join a group, uh, set your translation. You can be all ready and organized in your approach to Bible memorization, right? And it uses several activities to help reinforce your learning. But you also need to pray. The Bible tells us why. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to recognize you cannot do this on your own. You have to ask for help. You can be brilliant. You can have even memorized the Bible. I've listened to some people who have, and they completely miss the boat on some things, right? If you're not submitted to God, you will not be able to understand the truths that are contained in his word. Solomon grew up 
on the scriptures. But he recognized that apart from God, he could not understand God's ways, and he prayed for wisdom, right? Daily we should seek that wisdom from above that will help us understand God, his word, and his ways. The Bible gives us a promise that if we lack wisdom, we can come to God, and he will give wisdom to us. Being practical, you should choose a quiet place and a time to study every day, right? You need to be jealous of that time. You're spending it with the king of the universe. And if you notice the example of Jesus, Jesus did not go to the city to commune with his father where there was hustle and bustle and noise, right? Jesus went to the mountains and the hills to get away from all the distractions so that he could have that precious time. Being practical, we need to make it a priority. There are so many things in our life, in this world, that just choke out all of our time, right? The Bible's not just about learning facts. It's about relationship. And relationships are built in time. Having said that, well, you want to do this early in your day, be practical enough to wake up first, right? If you're half asleep trying to read your Bible, God is not going to be able to communicate to you as effectively as if you're awake. If you need to take a shower first, do that, right? So that your mind can function and be clear to communicate. If your blood sugar's too low and you need to eat some breakfast first, do that, right? Do what you need to do so that you can be solely focused on God and what he's trying to communicate to you in the day. Though I generally advise no Bible, no breakfast. Right? That'll help make it a priority. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, one way that we uh, help facilitate personal Bible study is through the Sabbath school lesson. And this quarter, we are studying Daniel. You can see it there on the screen. This is what it looks like if you have one or don't have one. This is an easy way to implement Bible study into your daily routine. It's a day-by-day study. Questions, answer to those questions, provoking thoughts. And this is studied by the worldwide church, and a different subject is studied quarterly. And there are apps for that. If you're more technologically inclined, this is the one that I have recommended. This is the one I have used. I like it. I've tried several, and this one, to me, works the best. It's just called the Sabbath School app. But this is the icon if you go searching for it on whatever app store you shop at. And this is what it looks like um, if you need some screenshots to help you recognize it. Um, you can take notes, you can select your preferred translation, you can highlight things. It's very interactive and it can be very helpful for those who are living their life in a fast-paced digital age. Another resource I came across recently at GYC was called Inverse. This is the new collegiate lesson. And um, I thought it was a very interesting approach to Bible study. I liked a lot of the things that I've seen. And I encourage you to go and check it out, even if you're not college age.
If you want to be adventurous, you could do a word study. How many of you have ever done a word study before? All right, a good fair amount of you. You can trace that word. For example, take the word love. You can trace it throughout the New Testament, and you'll find multiple meanings, or multiple words, I should say, that describe love. And you'll find out what they mean, and you'll find out how they are used, and you can see that they're used in different ways. And though you may be reading one word, love, when you do a word study, you'll find out, oh, but love is said differently here than it is here. How do those two things relate? How is one different than the other? A word study can be very helpful for you to understand what is in God's word. It's a good tool that can help you in that is a Bible concordance. You can also use software or a website. One that I would recommend is Blue Letter Bible, and you can find it at blueletterbible.org. It also has an app. There are Bible study tools, and these can help you see where a word is used. Other places, the same word is used in Scripture in its original language. Be sure, though, that you want to study the context, right? Because um, the context will help you understand also what that word means in that passage. And, and you probably want to approach Scripture concentrating more on ideas rather than necessarily exact words all the time. Because sometimes a different word is used, but it means the same thing, right? So think about concepts and ideas when you approach Scripture. The same thing could be said um, differently. The Bible teaches us that we should compare Scripture with Scripture when we study the Word. But that doesn't mean that we can just string anything together that we want, right? We have to be discerning. What It has to be consistent with the entire message of Scripture. Another thing you can do is a topical study. I've done this before. This is probably the way that I enjoy studying the most. I like to pick a Bible topic and then just dig into it. For example, you could study on the Sabbath, right? What is the Sabbath? Search Scripture to find out what the Sabbath is. It will define it for you. When is the Sabbath? Who has kept the Sabbath in Scripture? Where has the Sabbath been kept in Scripture? Why has it been kept? And how should one keep the Sabbath? These are questions that you can ask yourself as you're doing a topical study to learn more about any given topic. If you're not sure where to start, this is a resource I would recommend that has lots of topical studies. It's Mark Finley's Studying Together. In my own life, I used to take all these topics and I would make little note cards with all the verses on a particular topic. And some of those verses get quite long. And so I would run out of note card space and have to start another one. I remember the time I was doing this most, Rachel and I, had, uh, it was early in our marriage, and I used to take the New King James, and I would take an NASB, and I would study them side by side while studying that, that book and the different topics that are in. There's the second coming, the state of the dead, the Sabbath, many different topics that you can study. It's a wonderful resource. Another good resource is Haskell's Bible Handbook. How many have heard of Haskell's Bible Handbook? I see a couple of hands. Okay, so some of you don't know about this. This has 220 studies in it, okay? Rich for topical study. One of the things I, I used to do is I used to take the verses for a topic in the morning, and they're, they're not super long sections. They're very digestible. And I used to copy them into my Bible study software, and I would study them and read them. 
And the thing that you'll see when you do that is you'll see verses come up over and over and over again. It will get you more familiar with the Bible, get you more familiar with the verses, and you'll be able to go to them very quickly. So 220 studies, Haskell's Bible Handbook. You can get this from the ABC. You can also download a PDF freely from the internet. That's what I did. Kind of a subtopic, I think, of, of uh, topical study is biographical study. Um, one thing you could do is study the life of Abraham. A lot of the book of Genesis is about Abraham and his descendants, right? Who was Abraham? What was the theme of his life? What was he most known for? Where did he live? Right? When did he live? How did he encounter God? Why did he wander? And why did he do X in any given situation? So, for example, you'll find that Abraham didn't always tell the truth, right? He lied a couple of times. Why did he do that? These are good things to discover and find out and learn and familiarize yourself with the word of God. And while those things are good in and of themselves, it's important to ask yourself some questions along the way. Start with this, why should I? Or what should I, sorry. What should I believe? Based on what scripture is telling me, when I read these verses, what should I believe? The truth is we're all imbalanced. Well, everyone except for me and Eric Nelson, right? No, we're all imbalanced. Scripture helps us correct our thoughts that we might have the mind of Christ, right? Ask yourself, what is Scripture teaching me? What should I believe? Do you know, my wife is going through this book with me. It's from the Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program, and it's called um, Telling Yourself the Truth. There are many things that we tell ourselves that are not scriptural. You know that? We tell ourselves lies all the time. But God has a rich resource in his word where he talks about you and how you're valued. You are worth something to God, right? And he gives us many promises in his word. So what should I believe? Next question you should ask yourself is, based on what scripture is telling me, what should I be? You see, Scripture tells me I am a selfish, prideful control freak. That's the reality of the situation. But what should I be? I should aim to be loving, humble, and a servant of Jesus and others, right? That's what Scripture is calling me to be. And based on what Scripture is telling me, what should I do? First, I should, allow my, I should allow Christ to transform my life. And then second, I should lead others to Jesus so that they can have the same transformational experience. When you study, facts are good. But remember, information isn't the end all. Scripture is about Jesus, and it's Jesus you want to know. This is a resource I recommend. It's called Shadows of Light. It's written by Doug Batchelor, and this is a 
uh, helpful book that I read that helped me gain an understanding or helped me see Jesus all throughout the Bible. Knowing Jesus should be central in our study of Scripture, in our daily devotional life. The Bible says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. This year, I'm doing something that I have never done before. And so we'll see how it goes. In my own personal study, I am choosing to read one book for my devotional life for the entire month. I'm going to read that book every morning and become familiar with it. And along with that book, I have a notebook that I will jot down notes to help me see things and remind me of things that I have not seen before so that I can learn and have a better understanding of Scripture. So this month, I'm using the book of Philippians. And so not only am I reading it every morning, but I am also starting to listen to it on my way to work to reinforce my learning and my understanding. And so just the other day, um, as I was studying Philippians, I'm going to turn there now, if you want to turn with me. I noticed something that I had not noticed before. And I feel like sometimes I'm probably just the last guy to find out. Maybe you can identify with that. But it says this, if you're in Philippians chapter 2, I noticed that it says, starting in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then it says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I notice there are four lets right there, right? Let this, let this, let this. And kind of, at least in my mind, as I read that, I thought, hmm, the last let, where it says, let this mind be in you, I see it talking about the three that preceded it. That's the kind of mind that we're, we're to have. A mind that says nothing will be done through selfish ambition. A mind that esteems others better than himself. A mind that looks to others' interests because as it follows, that's what Jesus did. So, something from my study just this month. And that's what I'm doing this year that I have not done before taking a particular book, I'll take a book each month and study that book um, more intently. If you want to know more about resources to help you study, I'd be happy to talk to you later. Um, I know a fair amount about the technological resources that are out there and available to you, if that's your thing, um, and some of the others as well. And of course, you can also talk to Pastor Chris. He would be happy to share with you study resources and techniques so that you can have a closer walk with Jesus this year. I want to close with, um, or start to close, I should say, with a story about Mary Jones and her Bible. How many of you are familiar with the story of Mary Jones? Oh, a few of you. Okay. Well, don't spoil it for the rest of them. Mary Jones was born in 1784 in Wales. She was very industrious, even as a child. Um, good little worker, helping her very poor family. Unfortunately for Mary, her father died when she was four, and she had many responsibilities 
even at a young age. Bible stories had been told to her, and she had learned them. She learned them at church, and stories that her mother had told her, she learned them. She loved the stories. She loved to hear them, listen to them, and play them over in her mind. But her family did not have a Bible. And at the age of nine, she found out her neighbor had a Bible. Her neighbor was a farmer. It was actually a farmer's wife that she encountered. And um, the neighbor told her, as soon as you can read, you can come over and read our Bible. What a treat for Mary. But there was one problem. Mary couldn't read. There was no school. Our parents didn't know how to read. And so for two years, little Mary got down on her knees every day and she prayed that she might learn to read. A couple years later, a teacher came to her area and opened a school. And the school was two miles away. Mary walked every day. And she still had to manage all of her home duties. She got up early every day and stayed up late every night. And Mary, she learned to read. And then once a week, she would go to her neighbors and read the Bible, sometimes for hours. She had such a hunger and thirst for the Word of God that Mary found it easy to memorize large portions of Scripture. It was during this year at 11 years old that she, would, she was determined that she would buy a Bible of her own. And so she worked small jobs for other people and she would scrimp and she would save every penny that came her way. It took her six years. When she was ready to purchase her Bible, the town where they had the nearest Bible was 25 miles away. And she happily walked it all by herself. When she reached the city, it was night, and she stayed in the local minister's home. The next day, she met Thomas Charles. And Thomas Charles was the man that could sell her a Bible. Unfortunately, when she asked him about a Bible to purchase, he told her all the Bibles that he had were promised to other people and that he didn't have any. Mary burst into tears. The minister was touched at this young girl who had walked all this way broken down, crying, because she couldn't have a Bible. And so he asked to hear her story, and Mary told it. Thomas Charles did not have the heart to deny her a Bible. And he took a Bible that he had promised to a friend, and he sold that Bible to Mary. As it turns out, Mary actually had enough money for three.
Thomas Charles belonged to a group of people known as the Committee for the Religious Tract Society. And he took this story back to these group of men and he told them Mary's story. And he said, we must have Bibles in Wales. And they thought, why stop there? We must have Bibles for the whole world. And in 1804, the British and Bible Society, British and Foreign Bible Society, was formed. And two years later, there were Bibles in Wales. As a result of that meeting in 1804, the British and Foreign Bible Society was formed. And they provided Bibles everywhere. The Word of God went everywhere. You know, a lot of people have lost their lives so that we could have this book, which is so easy to purchase now, in our hands. Their death is in vain if it sits on our shelves collecting dust. It is a sacrifice and investment of your time, but the reward is great because if we read it, we can know Jesus. And he can transform our lives and the lives of those around us. And so in the words of a little lady who spoke them in 1909, brothers and sisters, I commend to you this book.